Hi guys, welcome to this episode of Red Brick Recap. So today we're joined by Abby from Common, Emma from Life and Cell and Karis from News and we're just going to be discussing social media um, which is obviously a really important topic for students at the moment and sort of just their section's takes on it. Okay, um, I, I'm an avid user of social media myself. Um, I can't really imagine my life without it, which is very scary to admit. But um, right, enough about me, let's get some sections, points of view. So Karis, do you wanna set us off with the news perspective on social media? Yeah, I mean, I guess, obviously for news, it's kind of, it can be a double-edged sword. Like obviously we post articles that are on the website on news, it can be a really good way to break news, but also, Obviously, a lot of fake news is spread on the internet, um, not by Redbrook, obviously, but in general. Um, yeah, obviously, it's been used a lot. We've seen like Brexit and the um, US election things spreading fake news. So, yeah, it can be a, um, a mix. Yeah, it's a bit of a mixed bag. I don't know about you, Karis, but like I get, especially when there's like events happening now, like I get a lot of my news from Twitter because um, it's just so much more there's less you know there's less rules about like what you can and can't say on Twitter and it's just more urgent and more instant I guess like do you think in the future like I don't know there could be more of a shift towards like things like Twitter and social media um I think to some extent I think not entirely I think like saying that are risks which is where kind of anyone can say anything on Twitter and there are still rules around it but yeah anyone can say anything they don't necessarily have to be like a verified journal or something whereas if you're getting your news from say the guardian it's more of a reliable source for example um so i'm not sure it would ever fully replace sort of more traditional journalism i mean obviously we're seeing sh a shift in journalism more broadly from like print media to uh digital media so i don't know if it would ever but that definitely makes sense yeah i got a lot of I still read a fair bit of the news, but I get a lot of definitely like reactions from different people on social media. And yeah, there's definitely that more immediacy to it. Yeah, I've actually, I did work experience in a newsroom once and they were telling me how they have someone constantly surveying Twitter for kind of like hotspots. Um, so when kind of hotspots of activity show up, they wait for, there was like a certain number of verified people so if they have the tick, um, they I think I can't remember the number. It might have been like twenty to hundred. Can't remember, but um, they look at these hotspots, and then when there's a certain amount of verified people, that's how they know to like break a news story, which is really interesting because like they've already been thinking about that in the big newsrooms already. Yeah, that's so interesting. And especially from like, I guess all of us have experience writing for Redbrick, different sort of um, articles, but especially with news ones, I feel like, don't know about you guys, but if I ever see anything on Fab and Fresh, like, um, you remember there was that steady car chase, which happened. And then obviously like the used COVID test, that is like the first place I kind of go for university sort of things. And then that's why I guess it's really good to be write, trying to write articles, which kind of explain the full situation, because we can no anything can be put on fab really like it could be used to spread sort of things i guess i guess um what it feeds into is that wider issue of you know how increasingly in the in the past decade we've democratized um a lot of kind of social media use and, and therefore kind of traditional media gatekeepers have 
uh, less kind of power. And like in many ways, that's a good thing as well um, to allow kind of smaller outlets to proliferate and, and more narratives, which are you know, not necessarily uh, tethered to kind of homogenous experiences to come through. So I think, you know, it's, it's always a, a two-sided thing with social media. Yeah, definitely. Um, so what I always like feel like you never know what's going to happen, like with the next big event, like will it be news outlets? Like, I always feel that like news articles are more investigative, like obviously they can go into more detail and they can have the interviews of people and they can reveal things that haven't been revealed before. Um, so I always feel that like um, the news article is something that I will read the next day after something big has happened and, you know, like sort of reflect on it. Um, yeah it's interesting like our reliance and like you said Emma like the I didn't realize that like the proper big guns were actually relying on it as well um like Twitter and stuff like that so all right should we turn to a more upbeat maybe life and style perspective on social media yeah um I mean for our section social media is just great because it gives us such a wide scope of things to look at like Instagram is like the catwalk and the runways for everyday people just to look at um so we obviously can cover like fashion trends um body image issues over the summer we had a lot of kind of interest in how uh social media is used for activism especially um with like the black lives matter movement and then um the free school meals recently people have been very vocal about it um there's also this whole element of like performativity though so it's interesting how lockdown has affected it because I don't you would guess that because social media you're projecting this kind of life that is perfect but no one's really been doing anything this year so it's kind of adapted and I think that's where things like TikTok have come in because they've it's more of an entertainment and this celebrity culture has kind of receded a bit so it's almost like social media has become more social again. Um, yeah, we also had a really interesting article recently about parenting on social media because we, as kind of users of social media, have these demands of we're entitled to see these celebrity kind of lives and things. But now a new generation of them are having children. We need to check ourselves in terms of kind of our demands to see the babies and see the pregnancies and all of this and kind of like how social media is complicated when you bring into like social issues like safeguarding children um so yeah life and style can cover so much in <laughs> social media terms it's great it, it feeds a whole section <laughs> i don't know about you guys but i remember when i was in year five or year six and everyone started getting facebook and my mum had always known that like the minimum age was 13 or I think it was 13 or 15, I think it was 13. And I would be begging her like, can I please get Facebook? And she just couldn't wrap her head around it. So that must've been in 2012. She was like, but you see these people every day. Why would you need to, it sounds so odd that she was like debating whether or not I needed social media when it's such a big part of our lives now. But I distinctly remember like begging my mum to let me get Facebook because all my friends had it. But we had it two years before we were allowed. So I always feel like with the safeguarding children thing, if apps put on like, oh, you need to be over 16 or over 13, kids just will find a way to go around it. So it's just 
I think also like kids these days are way more tech savvy than I ever was. So, you know, I don't know when you guys first got social media, but, but I think I did have to wait till 13 before I got Facebook. So, Yeah, it seems mad, especially with um, the TikTok stars at the moment. Is it Charlie D'Amelio's just got 100 million followers on and she's 16. So it's 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 mad and I think our generation who is like the first Facebook generation to get it as young teens has changed completely to the generation that's just come. Yeah I think TikTok is just so interesting especially this year because like everyone had nothing to do so people were on it but um I kind of I'm sort of amazed by TikTok in a way like there is every single side of TikTok you've ever imagined exists but the thing is before you page is so catered that I see things I love like Princess Diana TikToks um but and you know I see a lot of things which are activism but then I always have to remember that there's the flip side of that and for every feminist TikTok there's a misogynistic TikTok which I'm not seeing so I feel like in some ways it's brilliant how curated social media is and how you can find anything you're interested in. But I also think this year, more so than ever, I felt very disjointed from sort of polar opinions. And then when you find something like election results, it seems so shocking that half a country can think like the exact opposite of you. Yeah, that's a very good point. And I think to bring that back to news as well, it's definitely big issue that we see online is and on social media with echo chambers and the algorithms that social media use they want more engagement and so if you engage with a certain type of content they'll give you more of that content which is how so many people are becoming radicalized by the internet um because you know they watch one like funny Ben Shapiro video and then kind of YouTube or Twitter or whatever will recommend them more and more his content and then gradually more and more extreme right-wing content particularly um but it was a few months ago I can't remember who did it I think it was a journalist in the US and she created a alternate Twitter account to her like normal one which is fairly liberal sort of left-leaning people and on the alternative one she followed like Trump and I'm pretty sure Ben Shapiro as well and lots of right-wing figures and her two Twitter feeds were just completely different like they weren't even discussing the same issues I just completely different news completely different information even the news stories that twitter itself was recommending to her were completely different even from the same outlets on the two accounts so yeah echo chambers are definitely an issue and then it does like you're saying it impacts things in real life like i think probably a lot of us thought labeled win the last election a lot of that was down to there was a lot of talk on social media certainly the circles i'm in on social media that seemed very like pro-labor and and then obviously the results came out and it was a very different result. So yeah, no, it was an issue. I think that's why I personally decided to take a step back from Twitter in particular in 2016 after Brexit and the election of Trump. I was so like convinced that those things weren't gonna happen. And it made me realize how much of an echo chamber that I was in. Um, so I took a step back from Twitter in particular and I only re-downloaded it this year to follow one person <laughs> which is my friend she has a, a private account where she just posts really chaotic things but it's quite interesting because I don't engage with the app apart from to occasionally see her tweets um and Twitter just can't get a handle on me because I follow one person so they'll suggest really strange news stories to me so I always get like football results which is just completely not me at all 
and like random results of elections in like you know countries that I've never even considered as well so it's it's interesting like how you say like it certainly is what you feed to the algorithm it is going to churn back at you so you are kind of fully having your experience mediated um by that kind of algorithmic bias and and that echo chamber yeah that's such an interesting point Abby that you took a step back because of echo chambers because I think Social media detox is something that a lot of people I know do. Um, some of my housemates don't have it. Some just occasionally delete it every now and then. Um, personally, I, I don't. I want one of your guys' experiences because I used to hate Instagram, and then I got really addicted, and now I feel like I love it because I kind of there's lots of nice elements of it. It's nice to catch up with friends and to post the best aspects of your life, but um, when my phone broke and I had about two days without Instagram, I suddenly kind of had a bit of a reflection on what it's like to get constantly bombarded with so many posts and seeing so many people's lives. I think it's quite hard to kind of get a gauge on your one when you're constantly comparing it to other people. So I was just wondering about like your guys' experiences with that. I think with Instagram, like you spend the whole time like sort of curating how it's a bit like TikTok, like you spend the whole time like curating what you want your feed to look like. So I might follow like all of my friends and then a few celebrities that I like. Um, if that celebrity does something I don't like, I'm more likely to unfollow them because I don't want to see them on my feed anymore. Um, the explore, like the sort of, um, you know, the more general, just what's popular page of Instagram, I never really tend to use. Um, I think it's like, even if we can criticize, you know, certain apps and like, I don't know, say good things about another app people use the actual apps so different. Like like you said, Abby, like you use Twitter to interact with your one friend and one friend only, whereas I use it more for memes, whereas someone else might use it for more for like news. So it's just so like different, I think, like even within the one app, it's like no, no app really has a specialism anymore. They're all, they've all got snapshot stories and they've all got like messaging ways that like you can send memes on TikTok, you can send memes on Twitter. Like they're all sort of becoming the same app. Like. Do you guys think that we could ever get to a point where we just sort of have like one big app? Because it does seem at the moment that there's like no really unique selling points for any of them anymore. But yeah. It's interesting you, you raised that idea about um, kind of how the apps are just kind of taking so many different features. Like we saw that with stories, like, you know, Snapchat started with that, then Instagram picked it up, then Facebook, you know, failed to pick it up. Um, and there was an update this week on Instagram where they replaced like the notification section with like an option to like scroll through like a curated feed of targeted advertising effectively. And a lot of people were getting kind of really angry about that and they thought it kind of violated the, the ethos of the app. But I found it really unsurprising. Um, that feature was already embedded into accounts that were selling anyway. So that was like the next logical step. And I think many people need to rid themselves of the illusions that these apps are in any way there to serve us. There was this quotation that I read recently and it was something like, if you are not paying for the service, you are the product. And I feel like, while that is quite a crude statement in some ways, um, and it definitely needs more qualifiers and caveats, but I do feel like broadly that is um, that holds up. Yeah, definitely. I think on the point about will we get to a point where there just is one social media app? Uh, I don't know if there'll ever just be one, but I think definitely as a lot of other industries, we're seeing kind of monopolies start to form. Um, like obviously Facebook owns Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp. 
and gradually I imagine them and probably maybe Twitter as well will start just to take over all the other ones so I think we definitely will see a bit of a process of elimination in the next few years but I don't know if we ever just get to one app because they are we use very differently like Facebook and Instagram even though they're owned by the same company obviously still operate quite differently so I think also to bring it back to the so changing of the subject sorry um bring it back to like the age and the content thing on TikTok like one of my TikToks about a year ago probably now went like viral like it was just a random video and it went absolutely massive I think it's got 1.7 million views not to flex but flex um and the I got so many accounts following me that were honestly about five-year-old girls or seven-year-old girls and it was fine because the actual video was just us making a sports night costume it was nothing bad but I felt such a pressure after that video because I wanted to post one of my friends like just a just a different video of one of my friends and I felt such a pressure to like sort of make sure that nothing was too bad for these like three-year-old or not three-year-old but really really young girls that were following me and they were just doing they were doing these like I went onto their profiles and they were doing these like dances to these songs that have such bad language in them just like doing the classic TikTok dances and it like really shocked me I had to take a break from TikTok for a while because I was like I don't want that it's like I didn't want those girls to follow me they just saw it and followed me like obviously I could have changed my privacy settings but I don't know that's just interesting it's like um and like you said Emma like an unwanted audience for Charlie D'Amelio no one should 100 million people's eyes should not be on a 16 year old ever that's just not normal for like any 16 year old so I think the whole unwanted audience with social media is such a tricky one I don't know but yeah, so um, obviously we've been discussing lots of pros and cons. I was just wondering, Abby, as the comment section, whether you've been having any particular themes in your articles recently or just any personal opinions on other kind of topics to do with social media that you feel worth sharing? I'd muted myself. <laughs> um, the key thing with social media, I think, is how it kind of mediates our experience. Um, and with comment writing, everyone's writing from their... Um, own kind of individual perspective and giving their their thoughts and their opinions and their views on things in in you know nuanced ways so it's about how it's kind of mediated their experience so one article we had recently was about SARS and uh, we were talking about it in a meeting and I'd never come across this um, and people were quite shocked that I'd never come across it because it was all over Instagram and it was quite often people will kind of create a graphic and they'll repost that on their stories and then people will see them reposting that and so on and so forth. We saw it with Black Lives Matter. Uh, we saw it with a lot of kind of climate activism as well. And because I wasn't following the people who were posting that, I was kind of completely shut off to it. Um, and I think it's, it's fascinating how we, again, create these echo chambers and, and these networks of, of news and awareness of things which completely pass other people by. Um, we were having a conversation about how Oatly got cancelled um, as well. And like to, to someone else who isn't like a lefty student, that isn't going to mean anything to them. Because again, it comes down to these kind of very closed networks of communication, which is again, the ironic thing about social media. The more we seem to connect, the more we seem to in some ways disconnect um, with the outside world. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because especially with this activism side of social media, people think, yeah, I'm going to reshare this graphic about 
a social issue and they really genuinely believe that they can make a difference by sharing something on their story but like you said if you don't follow those specific people you're not going to see it and all these people sharing stuff have private accounts so only the people who follow them who are their friends can see it so I think social media can be an illusion at times when you think you have this bigger impact when you really just don't. <laughs> I think also with the whole Black Lives Matter thing obviously that was all over people's stories for a good few weeks and it felt like such a good like positive activist community um, and one of my friends used to use Instagram and just doesn't really anymore she's just got to do medicine she's just got too busy and um she still has the app on her phone, but she just generally doesn't use it. And it started coming out as like a sort of, I saw a few graphics that were like, how dare you not post anything on your story for Black Lives Matter? Like it was obviously just another form of activism saying, how dare you stay quiet? Or how dare you say, I don't want to get political. But my friend said she felt she had to come out of her lack of using Instagram to put something on her story, which seems so performative, but it was almost like the fact that she wasn't putting something on her story for Black Lives Matter seemed she didn't want people to think that she didn't support it or anything. So I think the whole sharing things on your story did get a bit out of hand, I think. Um, I hope that's not controversial to say, but I don't know. Like she messaged me, she was like, oh, I don't want anyone to think that, you know, I'm not supportive of this cause or I'm not just because you're not sharing something on your Instagram story that's only going to be there for 24 hours anyway. So, yeah, I don't know what your guys' appointment Yeah, no, I definitely, and I'm quite similar. I, I think the last time I posted on my actual like Instagram feed was like February and I rarely posted stories. Um, and yeah, definitely it was a bit weird. Yeah, seeing people say stuff like that. And like, I was making sure I was doing stuff like behind the scenes. Like I donate at the time, I donated a few different charities supporting black people in the UK. So I think particularly uh, Black Curriculum and Black Minds Matter, which is a black mental health charity. So I was like, actually that feels more useful than me just posting something on my story. And yeah, I really don't like posting on social media. And I think it definitely is with performative activism and activism on social media, an element, <clears throat> sorry, often of guilt tripping and things and being like, oh, you're a terrible person if you're not posting about this or something like that. But there's just so much stuff. And I think that's a big issue with sort of how connected we are all nowadays is it's really good to be aware of what's happening in the world. Like for example, the SARS protests that have happened in Nigeria. And I probably wouldn't know about those if it wasn't for social media, but I think there's just a certain extent where we're not supposed to be this aware of like everything that's happening all over the world at once like it's a lot for people to process so yeah I think it's very again even activism with social media there's sort of pros and cons to it because it's a really good place to get information and to organize but also when it becomes more performative and guilt tripping it's definitely an issue as well yeah kind of uh following on from that I would say that the, the way to kind of negotiate that online activism and, and delineate that from what you might term the kind of real activism um, or unreal, who knows, um, is just to kind of think about where you um, have positions of power in your own life. So like I know personally, like in my part-time job that I do it like as a tutor, like that is a position of power that I have over the 20, 25 students I was teaching at that period in time. So I could look at my lesson resources and think, okay, am I actually teaching a, a curriculum um, that is representative 
and then going back in and changing those resources if they weren't, if it was too whitewashed, if it was too male orientated, if there weren't queer writers on there, then that was up to me as a person in that position to address that. And I like you mentioned the Black curriculum as well, because I think the work they do is, is amazing. And I've certainly used their resources before and anyone in education, I'd encourage them to, to look at that because it is really great. Yeah, I really agree. I'm glad that we all sort of are on a similar mindset because in June, I felt bad for not posting enough or for posting not the right things. And um, I remember seeing so many people post that black square. And I, for one, know that some of those people use racial slurs in the following weeks um, after sort of that Blackout Tuesday day because um, I saw it on their stories. And I just found that so interesting because is actually usually the people who aren't posting who are doing more behind the scenes. Um, and I think it's it's a really big product of our generation because we're the first generation where social media was a big part of our formative years. And it's always going to be, as um, as Emma said earlier, with parents putting pictures of their children online. We're that, we are the social media generation. So I think we do need to like definitely learn from it. Um, also just with the parenting thing, I, I don't know about you guys, but the way that, Kylie Jenner puts endless pictures of Stormy. I see so many people share those on their stories or comment or like them. And I feel like so many people like my age want a child because they want this kind of dull because they think a baby is something you dress up and put post on your Instagram story and like that's all it is. But yeah, that's just one sort of other thing I've found from our kind of social media generation. I think that comes down to like there's because we're kind of living in the era of like the digital wild west like there is no regulation about privacy or data and how kind of even personal image should be handled that it's going to take a good amount of time for us to ethically assess like what's happening in the digital landscape and then actually come up with rules or kind of almost like a set of manners or decorum in a way to apply to social media like I was again scrolling through a feed and I saw a former Vine star who had created a um a account for their like newborn child and like from birth up until I don't know how old the kid is now but maybe like a year a year and a half like his life had been documented entirely by his mother and of course people are going to to raise their children in different ways but like you have to ask yourself you know um that that digital footprint is there forever it can be replicated forever and, and that person doesn't have the rights to control that and again it happens with like um like Kim Kardashian her father who died in the 90s Kanye bought him back with like a hologram for her um for her birthday and the hologram was saying Kanye's a genius and all these sort of things and is there going to be a point where we have to kind of sign like a um kind of like a statue at the end of our lives that says you cannot use my after image for like holographic projection and make me say such and such after my death because that can be you know incredibly uh, emotive and persuasive um, and incredibly dangerous I think. No definitely god that's morbid I didn't even think about that. I remember seeing that hologram and I was like wait what and then I thought it was all lovely I thought they just recreated like a sort of speech that he'd done and then he said wasn't it Kanye is the most 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 clever man or something like that and it was just bizarre that family just family just does shock me every time um i want to finish it off with oh emma you got something to say i was just gonna say it's um not too different to what they've done in in movies though because when uh was it paul walker died during the 
um, Fast and Furious films, they used his brother and digitally replicated his face. And the same with Philip Seymour Hoffman in the Hunger Games series. And they've done it a lot. I think they even did it with James Dean, who <laughs> did a whole film after he died. So I think, you know, it, it crosses a lot of different um, levels and, you know, movies, social media, <laughs> just general rich people, <laughs> celebrities. There's no kind of point to which it, it stops. Okay, well, thank you guys for coming on the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. I loved the discussion we had today. I feel like I could go for another like three hours on social media. There's just so much to talk about and there's so many pros and cons. Um, but yeah, if anyone's got anything else to say, I think we'll say bye. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, tune in for our next episode. I'm not sure what the um, topic will be, but hopefully it will be as riveting and as interesting as this week. So thanks, everyone.